the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Hi, everybody. You are about to hear a really great interview I did with Lynn Bourne of Wealth Architects and Ike Altmetz of Regimen Wealth. Due to some work from home technical difficulties, <laughs> uh, we the, the audio sounds a little bit Frankensteinish. I apologize for that. Um, we had to cobble together some computer audio along with some phone audio. Um, we were all three of us were having some problems. So I apologize for that. But the content was so good and the, and the conversation was so great. We didn't want to re-record the entire thing. So we've spliced this together the best we could. Hopefully it's not too distracting and please enjoy this uh, this discussion. Welcome back everyone to episode 23 of the COO Roundtable. Before we begin, I, I wanted to thank many of you. Uh, many people have reached out to me in the past few weeks to ask how I'm handling Eddie Van Halen's death. Uh, I wrote a tribute to him on our blog and many have sent me articles and memories they've had growing up listening to Van Halen. And even still, many others have shared who their version of Eddie Van Halen is. It's been a fun, a fun bonding experience. So I want to thank everyone for sharing with me. The last couple of weeks I've been going on YouTube, they have isolated guitar tracks. It's actually the studio recordings, but they take out all the other instruments. They take out the vocals and you can just hear his guitar playing and just how amazing he was. And so I was laying on the couch the other day, listening to one of those and, and Luke walked in and he kind of rolled his eyes. He says, dad, is that Eddie Van Halen? I said, of course it is. And he says, well, you're only allowed to listen for one hour because it just makes you too sad. <laughs> so for those of you that have been worried about me, have no fear. Luke is on the case and he's making sure that I'm going to make it through. So <laughs> thank you all for, uh, for reaching out. But uh, enough of that. I wanted to uh, get right into today's episode because we have two great guests from Regimen Wealth in Atlanta, Georgia. We have the co-founder, COO, and CCO. Ike Altmetz. Ike, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Awesome. And then joining Ike is Lynn Bourne, uh, president at Wealth Architects in Mountain View, California. I actually visited their offices just before, I think it was, it must have been late February. It was just before everything got shut down. I was in their offices. So uh, Lynn, thank you for, uh, for being here today. You're welcome. And uh, yes, we had the privilege of meeting face to face. So that's an exciting, exciting thing this year. It's, yeah, it's rare for 2020. Exactly. So Ike, I'm going to go to you first. Regimen Wealth has an interesting story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the firm and its recent founding with, uh, with you and your business partner? Yeah, so Regimen Wealth was actually founded on uh, July 31st of this year, but our beginnings go back to 2000 when Ian Weinstein, the original founder, and our CEO started at the Ameriprise Employee Channel, which I think at the time was actually American Express, as an advisor straight out of college on a draw, working elite cards and dialing for dollars. And like many success stories, just as he was about to throw in his towel, Izefa started to bear fruit a few years later. He transitioned into the franchisee channel, and tomorrow we're going to be celebrating our 90th day of being in the independent space. We currently have 200 million assets under management. We have six employees. As a firm, we offer wealth management services to high net worth clients, which isn't all that different from what most IRAs out there do. But how we differentiate ourselves is we have very heavy focus on in-depth financial planning, and we have an extensive menu of services of what that experience looks like. So a high net worth client, and we also differentiate ourselves on the approach that we take with our clients. Our ideal client is um, an individual or family in, with a net worth in the range of three to 20 million who wants to understand their 
financial situation beyond how their portfolio is doing, is open to recommendations and wants to build a long-term partnership. So because of the business model that we've chosen, we ask a lot of our clients and they expect a lot of us. So it has to be a good fit. Historically, we've grown organically. And while we're still only 90 days into being in the independent space, our focus is very much on developing the infrastructure to be able to do more for our clients and continue to grow organically. But once we resume our normal operations, we'll certainly look to grow still organically, but also developing our team promoting from minute and getting our house in order from the bidding. So should we eventually evaluate an acquisition, we are in a good position to do so. You made one interesting comment there that your ideal client is open to recommendations. I've spent a lot of time recently talking to advisors and, and RAs about who their ideal client is and, and setting up the firm. Who are you building this infrastructure for? And there's the, to steal Michael Kitsis's uh, terminology, there's delegators and there's do-it-yourselfers. And a lot of people wind up building their entire business to service do-it-yourselfers, but they're not really interested in hiring an RIA uh, to begin with because they exactly. want to do it themselves. So that was a very interesting, that my ears perked up when you said that your ideal client is open to recommendations. That's very true. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's important to us too. That's awesome. And Lynn, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Wealth Architects? Absolutely. And I just want to congratulate Ike on uh, 90 days in business. That's a milestone and I'm sure there'll be many, many more 90 days. So that's excellent. Well, well done. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I am with Wealth Architects. We're, we've been a firm for 15 years. We've got about $1.1 billion under management. We have grown all organically thus far. We've got about 20 employees and we're growing. We grow every year pretty methodically and, and pretty well. It's been a rather impressive growth trajectory. Similar to Ike, we define our ideal client a little bit differently than other firms. Our main focus for our clients and actually for our team as well, is well-being. We like to say we're redefining the meaning of the word wealth because the original meaning in the old English language is health and well-being. It didn't mean money. Of course, managing money is a big part of that story because our clients want to experience long-term stability. Stability is the foundation of well-being. But most firms focus on tactics and tools. We like to focus on what's below the line, so to speak, vision, goals, and values. Values drive client decisions. So what is most important to them? What do they want to achieve out of life? What do they want their legacy to be? We want to help them achieve those goals. So taking a values-based approach to life, that falls into a wide range of assets. But we also take our time with potential clients because we want to make sure it's the right fit on both sides. Yeah, I, I think um, Ike talked about Ian uh, back in the day, you know, dialing for dollars. I think uh, 20 years ago, this industry was all about, I'm going to get you investment returns. And I really do think that uh, the way you described it is perfect. I think that's where advisors are really adding the value now is not just making money for clients, but actually helping them figure out how they want to spend it, what they want to use the money for, um, and get the most out of not only their wealth, but out of, out of their life. I, I love that. Yes, we have a lot of executives with comp issues, pre-IPO, 
women in transition, a lot of women executives, families in transition, so families that have young children and they want to build for their future or clients who are beginning to think about transitioning into retirement. So it's a wide range of needs. That's great. So you, you talked about the 15-year history, but uh, you joined Wealth Architects in February of this year from outside the wealth management space. So can you give us a, a little bit of your background? I am from outside the wealth management space. I've been a CEO and a COO of high net worth accounting firms, and there's really a handful that I would consider to be true high net worth and ultra high net worth. I was also the partner in charge of what ended up being the largest multifamily office inside of an accounting firm. So I've been in the financial services space and in the high net worth space for quite some time, but wealth management was kind of an adjacency to me because of my background with our clients and helping them make decisions about what firms they wanted to work with, that kind of thing. So Mark and I, Mark Johnson, who started the firm, Mark and I had been friends for a good 10 years and we were on each other's board of advisors. And I was always really impressed with his approach to business. And I had the pleasure of flying in from New York to facilitate a couple of strategic plans for wealth architects, you know, strategic planning sessions, retreats. And I was frankly blown away at the alignment that I saw on the team, the alignment between the brand and the clients and what Wealth Architects is trying to do. And I've done a lot of strategic planning and facilitated a lot of offsites, and I've never seen such a deep level of, of alignment. So that really, really impressed me. And when Mark decided to add a president level role, you know, I gave him a call. I said, hey, <laughs> why don't we have a conversation? Because I've kind of always been the person that was pulling firms up into culture and into modern the modern era and trying to be more progressive with the way they approach business. And here, Mark and the team had already set this up. So that was just a real, real pleasure. So I joined the firm in January and uh, we've been, you know, a crazy year to join, of course, because of COVID and 2020, but a, a great year to join also. It's, it's always a good time to join a great firm and to help build, build the client base and help build the future of the firm. That's great. And then Ike, we talked about Wealth Architects has a 15-year history. You've got a 90-day history at the firm, <laughs> but give it, give us your backstory, please. Yeah, so I have a 90-day history with Regimen Wealth, but it actually does go back much further than that. Just to kind of backtrack, I was actually born and raised in Estonia, which is a tiny little northeastern Europe. And at the age of 17, I got an opportunity to uh, come to the United States. And while I'd always planned to go to university outside of Estonia, my timeline wasn't quite in alignment with how the transition from high school to university worked in the U.S. So after some fumbling around, figuring out, trying to figure out what to do, how to go about it, I ended up moving from Chicago back to Atlanta to finish college and needed a job. And by sheer luck, I was hired on by an advisor who at the time shared office space with our CEO, Ian Weinstein. The only bad part about getting that job was that um, I needed to work full-time and he was only able to offer me hours part-time. And since I needed to support myself, I kept my job in Chicago, kept working for that advisor, and that advisor actually offered to Ian if he needed additional help with his practice. So I um, went to college full-time, worked three different jobs. 
Um, I kept on working for Ian, kept on working uh, through the tasks that he had assigned to me really quickly and not wanting to sit there idle, saw opportunities to streamline how he was running the practice, how he was running his client operations. I kept on proposing to him different solutions and he kept on letting me run with it. So over time that uh, transitioned into being a full-time job and as the firm grew, um, we hired on more employees. Our client needs became more complex or client base became larger. My role evolved to through various zigs and sags and stints in financial planning, operations, client service, and being an advisor to the role that I I'm in today. Now I did leave for a few years and worked at other firms in the broker dealer as well as in the IRA space. Got to experience really up close how large, fast based, successful firms are around them bring that experience back to Regiment Wealth. I don't know when you've slept, Ike. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally. I could use yeah. some tips. <laughs> What a story. Well, let's talk about entrepreneurship. Not every, I talk about this a lot, not every advisor in our industry is entrepreneurial. They simply want to show up every day and focus on their clients and, and not think about running a business. And, and that's totally fine. But both of you, we've heard from your stories, both of you have a very strong entrepreneurial spirit. Ike just launched a business in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> and Lynn, I'll, I'll go to you first. You and I have discussed how uh, you've always focused your efforts on encouraging and developing entrepreneurs in the firms that you've led. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think in this day and age, if you're going to lead a business, you have to have an entrepreneurial heart. There's so much happening in the business landscape that is challenging and problematic, and so much work has to go into differentiating yourself. You really have to take approach no matter what business you're in to be, to stay competitive and to be very entrepreneurial in your, in your design of the business. And I guess a couple of core concepts there have to do with being courageous. We've been talking a lot with the team about trust, courage, and competence. And I think all of those kind of work together because you can't just go flying off with a bunch of ideas. You've got to ground yourself and put some structure in place and kind of create an a iterative circular reinforcing structure that helps push the business forward and serves the client's needs. When I think about being entrepreneurial, I think about it from the point of view of the firm being entrepreneurial and from the point of view of team members, individuals being entrepreneurial. So if the firm is going to be entrepreneurial, you've got to focus on your next gen and you have to support all the ways in which they need to grow and evolve of themselves as professionals and as client-facing professionals. The skill set needed in this business is so fascinating because it is very human. It's very centered, as I said earlier, on people's values and what they want to get out of life. But then there's this underpinning of this technical expertise and competence that is needed. And that's seemingly contradictory, but the two have to kind of work hand in hand. I think also from the point of view of the firm itself, you have to have a very, very clear strategic plan. And I mean classic, just like I mentioned earlier, how I kind of met the whole team, classic offsite real strategic planning, I think done yearly, you've got to pay attention. I think that plan has to kind of roll down to various teams, bringing those goals to life. And I think every individual's person's goals needs to roll back up to the overarching goal of the company as well. So there's, again, this kind of, I like to think of it like three-dimensional chess out of Star Trek, you know, hmm. where all the pieces are kind of have to come together in this interesting synergistic way. 
and I think we've talked about this a little bit already, your differentiation. Super, super clear differentiation because a lot of firms are saying, oh, they took a holistic approach or, you know, back in the accounting space, every mission statement of every accounting firm and probably law firm is pretty much exactly the same, you know, to serve our clients really well with integrity type of thing. That's not differentiated well. And I do love this strategy called Blue Ocean Strategy that is all about how do you get out of the red ocean of competition and come up with a way that you are truly differentiated. You know, and going back to Mark's origination of the firm and all the team's work all these years, the science of well-being, that is a science and an art. It's not some kind of airy-fairy thing. There's all sorts of science and there's, you know, some of the most popular classes from Yale and Harvard have to do with the science of well-being. And so, you know, Mark's original vision is kind of being proven by what has happened in the market around authenticity and being genuine. And so that's kind of interesting to see that happen. And I do think that's very, very much tied to the next gen. I think the way the next gen looks at life and looks at business is much more organically um, situated around, again, well-being and values and what they want to get out of life. And they want to give something back. We're kind of seeing that in the current day and age here with social upheaval and really needing to relook at our social structures and see, you know, how, how the world was designed. And I think we've revealed there's some certain problems there. And then my final point is about the individual. So back to kind of supporting the individual, you have to have business generators. You can't just have the originators of the firm be the only people bringing in clients. And so what do you need to do for that? You need to help your advisors learn the skills that are necessary. You need to kind of deconstruct it because a lot of folks make it bigger than it is. They make it more terrifying than it is. I mean, again, all it is is do you have some genuine contacts that you really like, that you enjoy spending time with, that understand what you're providing to the firm and would be happy to refer clients over? You only need you know, two to three of those in any given year. And it should, again, it should be fun because they should be genuine, authentic relationships. And that's something you can help, you know, your 20, 30 year old advisors do because they should be networking. Their college roommates are gonna become, you know, uh, controllers and then CFOs. And so their network exists even at that, you know, level of 20, 30 year olds. But then I think back to the entrepreneurial heart the senior advisors, they have to have the courage to say, I'm going to commit to trying to bring in a certain number of net new assets. And that takes some courage to do, back to being an entrepreneur, but when you make the commitment, then you know it's something you are striving for and that of course contributes again to that overarching strategic plan. So I've seen that in my you know years with my previous firms really come together, all these things can come together and it starts to fuel a kind of momentum that is a very beautiful thing to experience. I love the, the entrepreneurial heart at both the firm level and the individual level. I think that's fantastic. So Ike, let's talk about what drove you to become a business owner. You could have very easily stayed at Ameriprise and continued doing what you were doing, but what drove you to make this leap? For us, the biggest thing I think was control. We wanted full and complete control over our firm and what we offer to our clients and how we go about doing that, and as well as what we're able to offer to our team. If you work in the space that if you break away from you know captive audience, you go somewhere else, there are big checks to be had. And we did evaluate all the opportunities that were out there, going independent versus going into the captive audience. And we just realized that the 
what is going to be in the best interest of our clients and the best interest of our firm is just going to be, there's no better place for it than being in the independent space. Yep. That's great. And then as you've launched the firm, you've taken on the COO and CCO role at Regimen Wealth. And the joke I've made on this podcast many times, you you probably didn't grow up dreaming to be the chief operating officer of an RIA. Where do you turn to get education as you've launched the firm and you're drinking through this fire hose of trying to figure out the operations of the firm? No joke there. I actually wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I was so serious about it. I got into Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> to your question, I think there. I, what I found is that there's a lot of information out there for advisors, and there isn't nearly as much information for, for operations professionals who support those advisors. However, I do think it's changing, and it's drastically changed in the last couple of years. So where I've always turn to is I turn to my peers and I talk to other operations professionals to learn from their experience, get their feedback, brainstorm, use them as a sounding board. I try to seek out books, uh, whether it be in our, uh, for our industry specific or my, my role specifically or otherwise. And lastly, most recently, actually, the CEO Roundtable podcast. I found mm-hmm. your podcast far before we even considered going into the or entering the uh, independent space and you know, I was exactly on a mission to tap into the brain power of other professionals in our space. Awesome. And Lynn, we talked about you're clearly not new to entrepreneurship or business, but being that this is your first foray into wealth management, what have you done in terms of self-study to get yourself up to speed on the ins and outs of our industry? You mentioned Blue Ocean. That's a fantastic book. I've read that, but what else have you done to get yourself up to speed? I've always taken an organizational development approach to running business. That's been my discipline. So I do think if you are a business person in the main, you should be able to plant your skills in different areas. That said, every business absolutely has its own unique, you know, parameters and kind of is its own unique animal. So um, similar to Ike, I have, you know, the, one of the first things I did was reach out to other firms and were a member of DFA. And so they were lovely and they put together a study group of other CEOs and presidents. So that's been really, really helpful. And just, you know, reaching out to other leaders. I've reached out to a lot of women leaders and everybody is so open and kind, and you know, willing to help. So that's been very, very helpful. I think the other thing that matters though is it's not only learning about investment strategies or learning about the business. I think it's, again, back to this idea of what is it we are actually offering our clients. And so, for example, we have a Wealth Architects University right now for our clients, and our topic is compassion, well-being, the science of happiness. We have a professor from Stanford, um, Dr. Anna Seppala. So again, when I was saying earlier, this is kind of a science as well. So I've just always been a lifelong learner anyway. I'm very curious person and I'm always reading. And so there's such a wide range of things that need to be absorbed um, in addition, again, to the specifics of the business. So, and also again, especially I think given this year, um, sort of the underpinnings of diversity and inclusion are extremely important, you know, and what kind of culture, what kind of values on your company bring those people to your team. It may seem far afield from your question, but I actually don't think that it is um, because again, Again, we've, you know, just through our own values, we've built this very, very diverse team. And I think that's just extremely important and, and part of the knowledge base that is brought to the company and brought to our clients. 
Yeah, I love you said, what are we offering our clients? And, and we said it earlier, it's this industry, we've, we've really evolved. It's so much more than just investments now. So I love bringing in so many different areas uh, into that is, is fantastic. Yeah, that's what's really been such a great joy for me. Um, again, as I said earlier, just the well-rounded nature of all of the advisors and the affection and the dedication and the commitment the clients have back is just a beautiful thing. That's great. So Ike, I had mentioned uh, you took on the COO and CCO roles, and then Ian, your business partner, he's taken on the CEO role. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about how the two of you are dividing your responsibilities? Yes, at this phase of our transition, we're still very much dividing and conquering on a daily basis, but Ian's focus is very much on strategy, investments, reporting, and financials, and he's also the advisor for our clients. So I get the fun jobs like compliance, but I manage our day-to-day operations. I ensure that our team has everything that they need in order to be successful in their uh, roles and feel supported. I manage our technology deck. You know, for Ian and I, I think it's always been fairly simple to run the business together because we're very much in alignment as far as our core values and our thought process goes. And there's also some overlap in our skill sets, but it's different enough that it's best utilized in different aspects of the business. Yeah. They always say partner with someone that does things that you're not good at and vice versa. So um, I think the two of you make a great team. It's great. And then Lynn, you work very, you mentioned it, you work very closely with Mark, Wealth Architect CEO. So how are the two of you running the firm together? Yeah, well, Mark, I don't know where he got the energy. He seemed to be doing one and a half to two jobs anyway. <laughs> so there was more than enough to do. So that was, you know, I, I, hope, I hope that's been some feeling of relief there. Um, it isn't only Mark and I, though. We do have an executive team. So the four of us are very close and talk frequently. We have our head of investments and our CAO are also part of the executive team. We also like to kind of, I guess they call it the inverse pyramid. We like to turn everything upside down wherever we can and try to be innovative. So we do expect all of our team members to be a leader in their seat. So everybody on the team is leading something. They're making some contribution to the firm. And I mean everybody, um, not just our senior advisors as well, although our senior advisors are also part of a advisory council. And then we meet uh, once once a month as well. So we've got a um, governance structure that is also fueled, though, by uh, Steve Jobs said this great quote that I like, don't run by hierarchy, run by ideas. Mm-hmm. And so what we've tried to do is set up different groupings that have those ideas. And then, you know, if you're unfortunate enough to be the one to bring the idea to the table, you've probably just volunteered yourself to lead it <laughs> and make and make it happen, you know. Um, and then as far as the rest between Mark and I, we do share strategy. I will be the one though to go off and create a kind of a continuous structure to make it happen, to make sure it's integrated, to make sure that it flows up to our overarching strategy. Mark will be more client facing and really is out there in our community of clients. Although I, I will, I don't at the moment yet, but I have always had clients and I consider it about 20 or 30% of my time I think it's important for a couple of reasons. I'm in touch with client service. I'm in touch with what they need. I love having clients. I love the dynamic of it. I love helping people. And then also it helps me internally. So if I have to bill my own clients, I get my hands in the billing process as an example, and I can see where we might need to make tweaks or changes or improvements type of thing. 
It's great. So technology, especially this year in this crazy work from home environment, it, the technology is so crucial to our businesses. On an earlier call, Ike had a great quote. She said, technology is both a blessing and a curse for all of us. Um, so Lynn, uh, I'm going to go to you first. How have you approached the technology systems at the firm? So I hear already in my various calls and benchmarking people saying there isn't a single unified solution. And, you know, Matt, you would know more about that than yep. anyone. And I'm sure that's true. But I have to say, I'm really impressed with the technology landscape in the RIA world. I mean, most firms were cloud based. We went remote over a weekend. It was amazing. Um, coming from a, you know, very high-end accounting firms, but you know, in, in those environments, you switch from one software to another to another, and there are several companies that have been trying for decades to unify, and they have not succeeded. So I see a much more unified landscape in the RIA world. As far as technology overall, though, I am, just as I am a believer in strategic HR, I'm a believer in strategic IT. And I do try to look at technology both from the team's point of view to make it as seamless and efficient as possible, but from the client's point of view. You want things to be painless for the clients. I mean, we all know, even, you know, I, I've got one login from my portal for my bank and one login from my portal for, you know, go, we all go on and on and on. And how do we keep track of our passwords? And so we really try to work closely so that all those client touch points as much as possible are facilitated with ease through technology. Love it. And Ike, you've had to set up all new technology systems as you've launched the firm. So what have you learned during your attempts to integrate all of these various back office systems? For this question reminds me of a time when I took a computer science class and the very first thing that the professor told us was that if you're ever in charge of technology, just know that very rarely are technology projects on time and on budget. <laughs> And very rarely are they so on time and a budget to get there. <laughs> so our experience has not been not too far from that. I think that, you know, what we've learned is that uh, integration means very different things to different people. I think that rarely do the solutions work the way they're presented to you. And even if you've chosen an open architecture structure like we have, you still probably will end up having to do some custom work to get things work the way you want them to in order to be able to service your clients and run your operations more effectively. I think that many providers have a tendency to overpromise or underdeliver. And for us in the space that we play, they support can vary drastically. So you just have to go into it ready to be handle a lot of those issues. Yep. So I want to wrap things up today. I want to go back to the entrepreneurial theme because that was so great what both of you were saying earlier. Let me ask you both, in your opinion, what is the number one quality needed in an entrepreneur and what entrepreneurial characteristics help each of you in your respective roles? And Ike, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I think adaptability. I think that there is no day where I come in and I get to execute according to my plan that I set out for, today, uh, for that day. So I think you have to have the aptitude to manage always being or always having things thrown at you, being able to manage the stress that comes with it and still do your role effectively. Adaptability is also for us actually one of the core competencies that we look for when we hire for a team. I think the CEO role or a hybrid of one isn't an easy job, but I think it can be incredibly rewarding, especially if you're in a firm where non-revenue generating roles are valued, which I know can be difficult to find in our industry. So the two of you did not compare 
prepare answers before this. So Lynn, I'm, this is a tough one to, to beat adaptability because I like that one a lot. <laughs> so Lynn, what, what do you think? <laughs> All right, we're, I'm not gonna beat anybody. We're just, we're gonna compare notes here. Um, a little more benchmarking. I actually think, well, I'm, I'm leading up to the word courage, okay? Mm -hmm. But I'm leading up to it by what is interesting about entrepreneurs is there's this odd contradictory approach. So you have to be very passionate, but you have to be very self-disciplined. And those may seem like they don't go together, but they have to. Or you have to be extremely competent, but you have to be very creative in your thinking as well. Because that's where you get your differentiated you know, space and how you, uh, uh, you know, service your clients in ways that are unique and innovative. I think you have to be extremely persistent. So there's this odd combination of these sort of highly driven emotional approaches along with an underpinning of competence and discipline but i do think the overriding for me anyway the overriding um way to look at it is courage and sometimes you just have to have courage like tattooed on your forehead so i do a lot of data analysis and i take a deep dive and i'll focus and concentrate but in the end you're kind of jumping off the cliff saying this is my best guess and it takes courage to do that um and there you go I like it, but yeah, I'm like going to say you you cheated because <laughs> you use more than one word. I love <laughs> passionate, self disciplined, courage. I love them all. <laughs> well, I'm going number one with courage, but yes. like I said, underpinning it is this odd contradiction. That's the that's yep. the funny thing. I love it. Well, this has been fantastic. I can't thank you both enough for joining us today, Ike. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Lynn, thank you for, yes. And, and Lynn, thank you for everything, uh, all of your insights today. This has been great. My, my pleasure. And thank you. It's been a really great to know you, Matt. And thank you for all your generosity this past year. You've been very helpful to me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, all of our listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode. And we will talk to you all soon.